So as I mentioned earlier, today we're trying something a little different. We're calling it Tranquility Sunday, and we're using the musical interludes as a time of reflection and quiet inspiration, as a time of tranquility, if you will. We scheduled it for today, the Sunday before the 4th of July, as a kind of counter-programming to the noise and celebration that accompanies that holiday. When we scheduled it, though, I didn't plan on the troubling gospel reading that we just heard read. We hear a seemingly whiny Jesus complaining about his homelessness and then forbidding three well-meaning disciples from attending their parents or saying goodbye to their families. Maybe it should come with a trigger warning, especially for anyone who's lost a parent or a loved one. This is a difficult reading. We may need a tranquility Sunday just to help us work through it. And because it is so difficult, I was tempted to focus on Paul's letter to the Galatians instead and his call for freedom in Christ, because it really connects so easily to the freedoms we celebrate on Independence Day. But Luke's challenging words just wouldn't go away. So I feel compelled to try to break it down a little bit. Now this is the second part of Luke's gospel. Jesus has completed his ministry in Galilee, and as we're told, the day drew near for Jesus to be taken up. Or another translation reads, and the days were fulfilled for him to be taken up. This sets the stage, obviously, for his eventual death on the cross, his resurrection, and his ascension when he is taken up. And we're told he sets his face toward Jerusalem, so we know where the mission is headed. Now, Luke's going to spend the next 10 or so chapters having Jesus wander toward Jerusalem, which, considering it's a three-day walk, that's a lot of wandering. And I think it signals the importance of the journey of his turning his face to Jerusalem. And today, he and his disciples find themselves in Samaria. This is the much-hated northern neighbor to Judea, and it's a dangerous place for Jews to find themselves. Not surprisingly, they're rejected. Now, James and John want to respond with violence. They refer back to Elijah, who cast fire down upon the worshipers of Baal, and they threaten to destroy the village. But Jesus will have none of that. Now, earlier in this same chapter, Jesus had told the disciples, including John and James, that when they were rejected, all they were to do was brush the dust off their sandals and move on. Notice how quickly John and James have forgotten that story, forgotten those instructions. How often do we find the urge to resort to violence, verbal or physical, when we, what we really should do is brush off our sandals and walk away. Jesus' physical focus is on Jerusalem, but his spiritual focus is always on the kingdom of God. For Luke, it's a central theme. The kingdom of God is the culmination of the battle with Satan, with the worldly powers that really took off in Jesus' incarnation, in the incarnation of God made man. In Jesus and his ministry, we too are able to participate in that kingdom of God. So in part, it's, it's about what's popularly known as the end times, but it's also about today. When we are aligned toward God, we are part of the kingdom of God. When we gather today in worship and praise, we are participating in the kingdom of God which gets us to the three eager disciples that Jesus rejects. 
What's most troubling is that he rejects them despite their well-meaning intentions. The first disciple didn't even get to state his case. He asserts, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus complains about his homelessness. Foxes and birds are taken care of, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest. The second disciple responds to Jesus' call to follow with a, yes, but let me go bury my father. And this is an entirely legitimate request. In fact, it's called for in the Torah. Jesus' reply, let the dead bury the dead, has got to be one of the most confounding words in any of the Gospels. How is that even possible? Some commentaries suggest that this refers to the spiritually dead. That is, those outside the kingdom of God that is now present in the person of Jesus. So he's saying effectively, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead, as the idea. And this disciple, because he's present with Jesus, is now fully alive to go and proclaim this kingdom of God which is happening. And finally, the third would-be disciple is eager to follow but wants to say goodbye to his loved ones. Another perfectly reasonable request. Now this entire reading also has overtones of the prophet Elijah. And this interaction is the most overt. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah's protege, Elisha, asks to say goodbye to his parents before he follows Elijah. And Elijah grants his request and they begin their journey. I think Jesus' refusal to honor this disciple's same ask is a reflection of the urgency of his mission. The kingdom of God is here now. The battle has begun. There is no time to wait. So taken together, the three disciples and us are being challenged to see what's standing between us and God's call. What's standing between us and God's call? What's preoccupying us? What's getting in our way? They may be very legitimate reasons, or they may be imaginary. I know in my case, a simple reading of the news or today's political discourse can send me into a tumble of dismay. And I probably have legitimate reasons to worry, but I can't let that get between me and the reality that we are living in the inbreaking kingdom of God where peace rules eternal. I need to connect with that peace. French theologian Alfred Loisy sees the interaction with the three disciples as metaphors for how we might live our lives. And they're very drastic. The first disciple represents a call to renounce every comfort. The second represents a call to separate ourselves from everything that is not connected with the kingdom of God. And the third is a call to view the kingdom of God as the only goal worth striving for. As I mentioned, these are pretty drastic calls. Ones that might lead us, if we follow them to their extreme, to build monasteries in the desert, like the original desert fathers and mothers in the first century, who literally left everything behind and moved into the desert. But I think they're more aspirational calls. I think the reminder is to see where we are headed. Are we pointed toward the kingdom of God? Or are we pointed somewhere else? Towards ourselves, for example. Are we pointed toward the kingdom of God? In today's Galatians reading, 
Paul uses another angle to urge the church in Galatia and us to look where we're turned toward, where we're pointed toward. He calls it freedom in Christ. And it's particularly appropriate as we gather together later this week for barbecues and fireworks and celebrate our American freedoms. But unlike our secular freedoms, with their fierce individualism and focus on each person's rights, Paul's freedom is the complete opposite. It's a turn from self-indulgence and toward commitment to each other. Through love, become slaves to one another. Watch out for each other. Prop each other up. If someone falls behind, help them. Very different from our American freedoms, or, or at least at least the way we seem to be living them today. Paul calls us to live by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now this is not the dualistic spirit is good, flesh is bad, that might appear. Because in the list, even spiritual things, when taken too far, can become bad. Like idolatry. I was driving back from Bentonville on Thursday, and it always strikes me there are these large crosses that are visible from the freeway, and they seem to dominate some of the, some of the uh, landscape. And as I looked at them, I wonder if those giant crosses, or even the Ten Commandments monument at the State House, aren't better thought of as idols than true markers of faith. There's a belligerence around them that I think runs counter to the great humility that lies at the heart of our faith. Paul is calling us into moderation with our urges so we can make room for the fruit of the Spirit and what wonderful fruits they are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Quite a recipe for a full life. As we continue our reflections on this Tranquility Sunday and as we go into the noise and busyness of the 4th of July, I encourage us to consider what's standing between us and God's call. Where are we turned toward ourselves, toward our worldly concerns, legitimate and imagined, and not living in the fullness of the kingdom of God? Let's take that moment to turn back, to repent, and relax into the peace that passes all understanding. Let us live in the true freedom of Christ, the freedom that brings all creation together in the inbreaking harmony of the kingdom of God. Let us let God take charge and live into the Holy Spirit. For as Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit. Guided by the Spirit into love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, and faithfulness. Amen. Thank you.